You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. So now here's one of the problems that I have with too much stuff is because it just hit me this week and I had to add, I had to add something here at the beginning because... I, the more the more I talk to couples that are getting married, things I realize most people in the state of Alabama don't really realize. You saw it on the news, maybe you you might have heard about it, but don't realize that the marriage laws in the state of Alabama have changed. And uh, the reason this, you know, and I, I I don't have time to get into this, but I feel like I need to at least address this a little bit with you. Is the reason this was done is because some clerks across the state of Alabama, county clerks, did not want to sign uh, marriage license or marriage per, uh, permit the license for same-sex couples. And so there was, a, there was a, a change made in the way people get married, uh, legally get married in the state of Alabama. And, and this change, you know, and here, here's, here's, a, here's the concern, here's, here's the problem, is sometimes we do something with an idea that we're going to protect ourselves, but what we actually do is we isolate ourselves from being able to reach. Let me show you what I mean right here. And I, I got all this on the, on the, on the screen because I think, I think it'll help help me say it in a hurry, okay? It's because this new law, this new law inadvertently encourages couples to see marriage strictly as a civil contract, a secular pursuit instead of a sacred covenant. This uh, new law suggests that we omit the vows altogether. Now, the law doesn't say that, but just the way it's written, you don't have to have the vows, okay? Uh, it, it invites, this new law inadvertently invites couples to not even approach the church whatsoever, to not, not even make marriage anything about the church, uh, taking the church completely out of the equation. And this new law inadvertently creates a process that uh, a couple, where couples, they don't even need to involve a minister in their wedding at all. Okay, so, so here's, here's what the new law in the state of Alabama basically says. If you want to get married, go down to the courthouse tomorrow, fill out a paper, get it, get it notarized, hand it in, you're married. None of the, none of the, all that other stuff that you think is what is the marriage ceremony and all of that it, it went out the window with this, with this law. And so all you do is you just fill out a paper say, we're married. It's kind of like common law, but you go, and sign it, you go and sign it. You don't have to have a ceremony. You don't have to have vows. You don't have to have a church. You don't have to have a minister or even a justice of the peace. Just the two of you can go down to the courthouse and fill it out, and legally you're married. Okay? What does God say about that? Well, you know, and, and we're living under these laws. Okay? Here's, here's what God says about this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, they shall become one flesh. He doesn't say anything about it. You know? he, and actually what he does is, is uh, he doesn't even give us a, a sample ceremony. Okay? So, so what God says is when a man and woman leave their parents and they come together, you know, and, and that's a sexual statement right there. He's talking about that, but he's not talking about just having sex. He's talking about just the whole thing. That when you do that, then you have become one with each other, and you're no longer joined with them. Now, and this, this is Genesis chapter 2. That's really early in the Bible, right? Jesus quotes that. The apostle Paul quotes that. And, and Jesus, he adds this after he quotes it when there was a question about divorce. Jesus said, from the beginning, this was the law. And then he says, and, and you may have heard it in, in the King James Version, that he says, therefore what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So Jesus is saying this. So if, if God is the one that does this, then don't let any man undo it. 
Okay, so that's what he says. So, G- so Jesus adds that, that little caveat in there. So, so the law says all you got to do now in the state of Alabama is fill out a paper. God says, you know, it's, it's really like God's not putting a lot into here's what you have to have to have a ceremony. So why, why is it, why would we want to have a ceremony then? Why do we want to contact the church? Why do we want to call a minister? Is there a reason for us to, to do that anymore? Yeah, I'm glad you asked so I can, I can answer that, okay? Stating your vows before God in religious ceremony is, even though it's not legally required by the state of Alabama, it's not, it's not required to be a member of Church 2911, but stating your vows before God in religious ceremony is asking the church for its blessing, covering, confirmation, and approval in solemnizing the marriage. That's what you're doing when you come into church and you're asking. And more importantly, it is inviting God to be central to your wedding and your subsequent marriage. That I want God in the first part of it too. That I don't want, okay, I'll go fill out the paper, but I want God in this, this first part of it too. Because this is the birth of our marriage. Not just the wedding, but the whole marriage I want God to be in. Be in. Give me that next slide. Let's read this, this together. It's all about the intent and desire of the couple to make God and his plan which includes the church, okay? It's all about the intent and desire of the couple to make God and his plan a part of their life together from the beginning. That's why people still are having ceremonies. You know, since, uh, since uh, th- this law went into effect at the end of the summer this past year, I've already done one, one wedding, one ceremony, and uh, i got another one coming up this week. And, you know, and I explained to both these guys, you don't have to do this anymore, but I want to do it. And I, and I applaud that. I say, thank God for that, that, that you're seeing. I, I don't want to just fill out a paper. I don't want to just enter a contract. I want to have a sacred covenant between me and my spouse, overseen by God, and blessed by the church. That's what you're saying when you do that, okay? So I, I want you to know that going forward in case somebody asks you the question. And I want you to know that so when you decide I'm getting married, that, that you, you're not going to get kicked out of 2911 if you, if you, don't, do, if you don't do that. But just so you'll hopefully choose to make God a part of that because right now it's just so easy. You don't even have to have vows. All you have to do is fill it out, okay? At 2911, we believe in marriage. We believe in it so much. Over the last three and a half years, we have had 20 marriages happen in our church. In three and a half years. And Friday, we'll make it 21. (laughs) Friday, we'll make it 21. And uh, over over the Lifespan, two, 10 and a half years of, of 29-11, counted them up. Uh, I think it was 33 marriages that we have seen at 29-11. I'm talking about people in our, you know, I've, done, I've been to others also in my family, but I'm talking about just us. And I didn't do all those. I didn't, I didn't officiate at all of those. Uh, because some, actually, some of the people sitting here officiated at those. So I, I think I've, I did about uh, 13, uh, maybe 14 of those 20, 21. And... Uh, and I did most of the first ones as well. But so I did a lot of them. So, so I, I want you to understand this. It's not, I'm not trying to drum up business because I ain't got anything to do except marry people, okay? I got plenty to do, all right? But I want you to get started on the right foot. So let's get there. What are the ingredients of a dream marriage? The ingredients, now I put them all on this slide so it helped me hurry, okay? Because when I'm starting, I look and I say, man, I got a lot left to go. Okay, so it's all right here. In the ingredients of a dream marriage, commitment. I put it first because it's, it's one of the most important things. Commitment because it's more important than happiness, emotion, and pleasure. You see, in a lot of us, what we do is we fall in love or we 
want to get married because we get happiness, we have good emotions, we have pleasure with this person we want to get married to. But the problem is, I guarantee you, there is coming a day, at least one day in your marriage, that you couldn't say, I'm as happy as a lark. There, there's coming a day where, where the emotions aren't where they used to be. That the pleasure, today wasn't pleasurable. I mean, there's, there's going to be some days like that because love is not a noun. It is not something you have and that you hold or that you possess. Love is a verb. It is action. It is taking a chance. It is doing the things that need to be done. Love is a choice that you make, okay? And it has, it, your infatuation with this person probably started with happiness, emotion, pleasure, but that's going to go away one day. That's going to go away. And, and what you've got to realize is commitment is one of the most important ingredients of a, of a marriage. Here's the second one is investment because it's longer lasting than passion. You know, passion, passion can get you in a, in a bed one night and be done the next morning. Passion can do that, but investment is what a marriage takes. Taking the time, understanding this is not about winning the, the battle today. It's about winning the war throughout my lifetime now with this person. Or like attitude. It's more important than aptitude and skills. When we see people, we get attracted to people because of the way they do things. Uh, you know, who they are. You know, I, I, you know with me, I, the, the first attraction from Deva was when she came around that corner and that light hit her green sparkly eyes and I was Twitter-pated, right? I, I, you know... And, and, and try, as she, try as she could, you know, maybe to, to uh, help me grow up. It took a while even after, after we got married, okay? Attitude is more important than all that other stuff. Let me say to those of you who aren't married yet, one day you are going to meet someone you cannot live without. You better pray it's somebody you can live with. Because that's what happens. You're 15, 16, 17 years old, we start dating, and we fall in love with somebody. And we, when we finally realize this ain't going to work, we just have to keep going. I got too much invested in this. And we just keep digging and digging and digging and dig deeper and deeper. You're going to find somebody you think you can't live without. Pray that it's not somebody you can't live with. Okay? Which goes to this one right here, I think, real well. Effort. It's sexier than looks. Effort is an important ingredient in marriage. It is sexier than how somebody looks. Now, I think probably most of the males in this room are like, I don't know about that, Pastor. I, yeah. Then let me ask the ladies to help me out here. And you know they say, don't ever ask a question you don't want know the answer to. So I started to ask a few ladies, say, am I going to be in trouble by asking this question? Am I, am I thinking you're going to answer me wrong? But I'm, I'm just going to take a chance right here, okay? You ladies help me right here. You, you answer. Just, just spit it out to me when I ask. Here's the question. What is sex here? A man standing at the sink washing dishes or laying out by the pool in a Speedo? Okay. And listen, you don't get to see the man first <laughs> to make up your mind, all right? I promise you. I promise you. Effort is sexier than looks. It might not be this moment. 
when you're in all that infatuation and the light is sparkling out of her beautiful green eyes and you are Twitterpated. It might not seem that way, but in the long run, effort is going to be sexier than looks. All right? Uh, sexual faithfulness is an important ingredient in marriage. It's absolutely, absolutely important. It is more fulfilling than fidelity because here, here's what a lot of people will tell you. You're unfulfilled because, man, you, you, you never had sex with anybody except your spouse. Man, you're just unfulfilled. You need, you need to take a weekend break. and go. That's what somebody, people will tell you. But sexual faithfulness is more fulfilling than having a hundred other conquests in your life. And you will not understand that until you try it and find out and realize. Sexual faithfulness to that one person. Another ingredient in a dream marriage is humility and forgiveness because they're, they're more satisfying than I told you so. Now, see, some of you don't believe that because I told you so is pretty satisfying sometimes, isn't it? Isn't it good? Don't you like to tell somebody? Don't you like to say, see, I told you so. You like that? You think that's, you think that's good? Okay, well, just realize somewhere down the road, I may be reminding you of this sermon right here and say, see, I told you so. Right? But what is more fulfilling than that is humility and forgiveness. Because we're not talking about, you know, one of the things you're going to have to do if you want to have a great marriage is you're going to have to, you're going to, have to lose. Man, it took me a long time to lose this. But you're going to have to lose the desire to be right and embrace the drive to have a great marriage. And that will include humility and forgiveness. Also, honesty and trust. Because they're a stronger foundation than secrecy and privacy. We, th- we think we, we need to have our secrecy and our privacy, you know, and that, that'll make us stronger because we're, but honesty and trust are so much more stronger as a foundation for marriage. And this, and there's two more that aren't on this, this slide. Okay. But this one right here, communication, it's better protection than walls. Here's what I mean by that is because what we think is we, we build a wall around ourselves. Nobody can hurt us. You know, we've been hurt by people's actions. We've been hurt by people's words. We've been hurt by, by people and doing things and they didn't even know they did them. And, and we've been hurt by that. And so we build walls. But communication is better protection than walls. You know, because you, you build the wall, that doesn't protect you from everything that's going to happen. But the, the communication you have in a marriage is better protection than building the walls. So I got, I got two more. Here's, here's one. And I, got a lot, I had to put it on a slide by itself because I got some things I want you to see with me, okay? And the next one is church involvement is, the, is an absolute must for dream marriage. Church involvement. It is stronger, it's a stronger connection than joint hobbies and tastes. Because what we think is, well, they do stuff that I like, and I do stuff they like, so we've got this joint hobby, we've got these joint tastes, we, we, you know, we like the same kind of movies and all that. That's what's going to make us closer and stronger and all of that. But more stronger than that is church involvement. And I got the stats to prove it. I mean, I knew this a long time ago, but I got the stats to prove it. And incidentally, if you, you don't believe me, you want to see the stats, if you'll go to that Connect page, uh, you know, there where the sermon notes are, you can click. There's a, there's a link there to an article that, that lays this out and then to the study, okay? And you can see this. 78% of couples who attend church together reported being very happy or extremely happy with their relationship. That's, that's higher than most of the people in your, in your circle, right? Are 78% of the people in your circle, are they very happy with their relationship? Probably not. 
But in church, couples who attend church together regularly, 78% of them say they're extremely happy with their relationship or very happy. And that number is even higher when couples are spiritually involved beyond just church attendance. It's, so it's 78 if you go to church together. But if you get involved spiritually in something together, it goes up even higher. Okay? Couples involved in a local church are less likely to divorce. Now, you've probably heard some people say, well, that's, that's not true. The, the, uh, the, the divorce rate in churches is the same as the divorce rate out there. Well, there's a reason for that, okay? It's because all the people that we're lumping into this church involvement thing aren't really involved in church. Look at this last one. Maybe it'll explain it to you. Couples who are connected to a church in name only are more likely to divorce than the average married couple that is not in church. That ought to scare you. That ought to scare, I mean, it ought to be one of those things that scares you to get into church. Because the worst thing you can do for your marriage, according, in this, at least in this arena right here, is to claim a connection to your church but be nothing more than a visitor on Sunday morning. Because this building is not the church. This service is not the church. These people right here are the church. And if you're not part of what's going on beyond this hour and 15 minutes, then you're just visiting the church with the church body for an hour and 15 minutes a week. And, and when you do that, you have, you have a, a show of something that isn't real. And that will impact every single part of your life when you make a show of something that isn't real. Because, I mean, you, you may think it's okay to tell little white lies here and there and whatever. Problem is, those little kids you're growing up, they're watching you tell those little white lies. They're watching your deception. They're watching, in the same way, your family is seeing this. Well, we claim to be this, but we're not. And that's why. So, so those who are fully connected beyond just attending on a Sunday morning, they have a low, uh, a low level of, of, of divorce rate. It's a low divorce rate among those. And then just in the general population, people that don't go to church, it's 50-50. It's about a 50% chance. When you get married, you've got a 50-50 chance of making it, of not ending up in divorce. But worse than that, the highest rate of divorce concerning church involvement is those people who are only, the people who are only involved in name, involved in the church, in name only, they have a higher div divorce rate of any of those other groups. That's why you need to get in church. That's why you need to join a small group. We just kicked off small groups last Sunday, and some of them haven't even had their first meeting yet. So if you have not yet joined a small group yet, just go to church2911.com slash small groups, and it'll take you right to the registration. If you can't find it, ask somebody on your way out the door. They'll help you find it. That's why you need to go beyond an hour and 15-minute visit with the church, and you need to become part of the church. You know, I... Uh, Little little example I thought of this 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 week. A little illustration. Y'all ever had a TV dinner? You know what a TV dinner is? Those were awesome when I was a kid, because when mine was open and laid down in front of me, none of my food was touching each other. You know, right? Unless whoever opened it didn't take care and they let something slosh over to the other one. You know, then it was like, oh, wait a minute, i got to see if I, I got to throw that whole thing away because i got two pieces of food touching each other, right? And, and that's the way we are, especially guys. Guys, we are big about com compartmentalizing our lives. We are big on that. But guys, we, we've got to understand we, 
God's not in a compartment. He refuses to be. God refuses to be in any little box you want to put him in. Well, what we got to do is we got to get away from that, that TV dinner mentality, and we got, we got to do something like my granddad, my dad's dad did. You know, anybody ever had a take some cornbread and break it up in a bowl and pour some buttermilk over it? And just You ever seen anybody do something like that? My granddad, that's how he started. But then he took a spoon of peas and put it in there. Oh, there's some, uh, there's some greens and put those in there and then just mixed it all together. Or I've seen him take a plate, just one spoon right in the middle, another spoon or something else, another spoon or something else, you know, and then just kind of mix it up and eat it all together. And I was grossed out. I would love to go back and have another meal with him, but I'd really like for it to be just a couple of things on the table so he wouldn't gross me out, right? But, you know, that's what a dream marriage takes, a dream life takes, is you can't compartmentalize everything in your life. And here's, here's where God is. God is either involved in all of it or he ain't involved in any of it he's too jealous okay this last little thing right here i'm sorry back up and let me read that thing at the bottom there the benefits church involvement just really quickly shared experiences opportunities to serve together sparking conversations you see because when you go to church together then you have these shared experiences and opportunities to serve together you got something to talk about you get, it, it, sparks, it sparks communication, conversations. You have support. You have accountability. Ah, da, 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 on and on and on and on. Have all these. These are the benefits of church involvement. I got one. I told you this was next to the last ingredient, important ingredient in a, church, in a dream marriage. Here's the last one. The last ingredient in a dream marriage is to have a dream spouse or to be a dream spouse. Become a dream spouse. Now, let me say something right here just real quick on this slide. Just, just talk to you real quick about head of household kind of stuff. Because you see, what some people think head of household is, you go over there in the book of Ephesians, you know, and all that. And some people think, well, what that means is, if I'm the head of house, and I know some of you guys are head of the house, and some of you ladies are even head of the house because you're a single mom, you're by yourself or whatever. Okay, but if you're head of the house, and I think in prior generations and prior, prior decades, we felt this way, is that being head of the house means, you know, that, that, I just get to choose where the vacation is, and I just announce it to everybody else. Nobody gets, a, nobody gets a vote. I'm head of the house. Or I come home from work, I plop down in my recliner. I get to hold the remote. That's what it means to be head of the house. Man, you are a one-week head of the house, if that's what that means to you. Okay, let me, tell you, let me tell you what it means to be head of the house. Sacrificing, putting spouse and kids first. You know, some of you might say, well, if that's what it takes, I'm ready for my spouse to be the head of the house. If I got to be, I, and I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again. Let me tell you again right here, okay? When you're single, you're number one because that's who you are. There's nobody else in your life. But when you get married, you become number two. And then you start having kids. You become number three, number four, number five. They get married. They start having kids. You become six, seven, eight, nine, and you never get back to being number one unless everybody else in the family dies for you, and that just doesn't happen. You'll never be number one again. And so, you know, you may say, well, I don't want to sacrifice. Then, yeah, you probably aren't head of household material because being the head of the household, read Ephesians again and see what it talks about. Being the head of the household is about dying for those you love as Christ gave himself for the church. That's what Ephesians says. And so if you want to be head of house, I don't mean in name. 
but you really want to be the head of the house, sacrifice and then lead spiritually. Wake your family on Sunday morning for church service, worship services every Sunday. Don't take a Sunday off. Don't, don't, every I mean, even if you're out of town, you're on vacation. Last time Dave and I were out of town, we had three of our grandkids with us on Sunday morning. We had church. They sang, and I think we were going to have a puppet show, but they didn't ever make the puppets. But, and we had church. Wake them up, lead them. Uh, reading and discussing the Bible, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Boy, i got to hurry. But back, of Deuteron back in the book of Deuteronomy, where, where, where God says, and he encourages, he speaks through Moses, says, listen, write these things down and rehearse them with your kids. Post them on the doorpost. Post them on the walls. Put them on your forehead. Wrap them around your arm and say these things over and over and over. The Word of God, if you're a parent, or a grandparent, and you're a Christian, the Word of God should come up in your conversations with your kids and your grandkids on a regular basis. That when questions are, answer, uh, questions are asked, answers most times can come right out of the Bible. So, well, do I have to do it that way? Only if you want your kids to understand that the Bible is a guide for life. And when you start showing them every, every question can be answered in that book, you're going to teach them to go to that book when they have questions after they're out of your house and after you're dead. Or that last one, calling your family to prayer and teaching them to pray. You might, you might say, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to teach anybody. Just pray. When you pray in front of them, they learn. You've, most of you have heard me tell that, that story, but I, I don't have time for that. But I, I, I'll tell you this thing. is uh, Last summer when we were trying to, we were trying to get out of get out of the rental place that we were in. We were trying to get into our house, and, and we couldn't get into our house yet. We moved in, moving in with Bradley and Kristen, you know, and, and uh, we, they still owe us a few more months, you know, but we did get a couple of three weeks, I think, out of them this time. And one of the greatest blessings I had was sleeping on a mattress on the floor in the loft room with Colin up on the couch there beside me, and Colin having a problem, and... As all the lights were turned out and everybody's going to sleep, and Bradley, my son-in-law, coming in, kneeling down, talking to Colin for just a minute, and then praying, knowing I was laying there, knowing I was hearing every word he said, but that boy, that man, prayed a priest's prayer over my grandson. And I, just, I, I couldn't even pray. Because I just had to listen. Oh, God, thank you. And you say, well, Pastor, you didn't. No, I didn't do that. I just raised the girl who found him that knew how to pray a priest's prayer over. Right? That wasn't the first time he prayed with his kids. Because Colin didn't say, what, we going to pray? No, wasn't the first time. This past Friday, I picked up Brent, Lauren, Macy, and Clark. They had a flight. At, I picked them up at 5.30 a.m. They had a flight on vacation. Y'all know where they went. Everybody knows where they go. <laughs> And, and I picked them up, and, and we, we have a custom in our family whenever we're, we're going on a trip. We pray together, join hands, and we pray for protection, pray for the protection of the people that we're, you know, we won't be, if we're out of church, that's it. that church goes well, protect our homes, protect our families, no one gets sick while we're gone, all that kind of stuff. So as I'm, we got them loaded up, I get in the car, we're ready to go to the airport, and I'm thinking, we need to pray. And I hesitate just a minute, and Brent says, let's pray. Oh, God. I melted, church. I melted. 
there was a song, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I heard somebody ask this morning, who knows Squire Parsons? Who knows Phillips, Craig, and Dean? <laughs> Same old crowd, right? <laughs> knows both of those, right? And they had a song called Mama Like to Burn the Midnight Oil. And that, that's my mom. She burned the midnight oil. And you know what happened because she burned the midnight oil? The very last line of that song is because of that. Now there's a daddy who's willing to burn the midnight oil in prayer because she prayed over me and because Dave and I prayed over our kids. And now that our kids are praying over their kids, this thing ain't stopping anytime soon. Hallelujah, praise God, and glory to Jesus. Amen. Pray in front of them and teach them to pray. I'm going to have to run through one last slide real quick, and I promise you I will be quick with it, okay? It was my intent to do this one quick because I knew there was no way I would have time to preach when I got here, okay? But I'm going to leave it with you. Snap a picture if you want to. Easiest thing to do is go to the, go to the sermon notes on that Connect page, okay, right here. A dream spouse. We have, a, we have several awesome examples of dream spouses. You want to study for this week? Here you go, right here. And incidentally, this is coming up in your small group this week. So you say, I'd like to go a little deeper in that. All you got to do is show up small group, and you're going deeper in that this week. Boaz, the, the whole story, a lot of you know the story of Ruth and, and Boaz. You know that story. But, but Boaz, here's the thing. He could have been a shyster. He could have been a swindler, but he did everything honorable. He's chasing after his potential wife. He could have done a lot of different things, but he did it honorably. I had, mm, I'm sorry, I, I'm really trying to not preach all of these little points because I, I don't have time. But I had a man come to me uh, one time, and he said, he, he told me that he was, he was dating this lady, and he said, and, said, and he, he told me, he said, well, yeah, we're, we're being sexually intimate right now. Well, this is a guy that, that just gotten divorced. And I said, I said, okay, okay. and he, he let me. I, I, he opened the door, so I stepped in. Listen, you don't want to know the answer. Don't ask. Don't ask me. If you don't want to know, don't ask me because you opened the door. I, I've got to step in because that's, that's a calling on my life to share truth, share gospel. He, he opened the door, and I said, well, let me tell you. You've got to think about this. You're not treating her honorably. And he said, why is that? I said, because when people realize that you guys are sexually active, you're sexually intimate, you know what they're going to call her, even if they don't say it out loud? You know what they're going to say about her? You need to treat her honorably because it's not going to get any better after you get married. You know what? When he went and told his fiance, she didn't say, well, tell that preacher to go take a flying leap. You know what? She, she, she started crying because she realized this man wants to treat me honorably. I don't have time to preach all that. Okay, Abigail. Man, I'd love to preach Abigail. Y'all know this story of Abigail? Those 42 verses in 1 Samuel. Those 42 verses, one of the most awesome overlooked stories in the Bible because, because of something was going on. She stepped up when her husband wouldn't. She stepped up and protected her husband. She protected her husband, and she protected her family. And the end result there in those last few verses of 41, 42, that end result was amazing. And I, I doubt the majority of you couldn't even tell, even if you know the story, you probably couldn't tell me what I'm talking about happens in 41 42. I'm not going to tell you right now because I want you to read it. Go read that one this week. It's, it's an awesome story of a lady who protected her husband, her household, or Elkanah. This was Hannah's uh, husband. He was aware of, of how her heart was broken. He was attentive to her. He saw her crying. He was comforting her. I meant this may be the first sensitive man mentioned in the Bible. Might have been the first one of history. Who knows, right? Okay, but guys, 
look and see. That's what he did. Or Jacob, whatever it takes, however long it takes. He worked 14 years for the woman of his dreams. He became a dream spouse. Hosea, if you've been to, if you've been to premarital counseling with me, you know the story of Hosea because I like to share a little something about it. He showed endless, unconditional love no matter what happened. He stuck, stuck, stuck in there. Last one, Mary and Joseph. And, and I put down the perseverance. Think about the story. If you don't know it, read it. She gets pregnant, and she's never been with a man because God does something miraculous in her to allow his son to be birthed. She gets pregnant early. Her husband-to-be thinks, oh, she must have had a, must have had a, a one-nighter with somebody. But then an angel appears to him and says, nope, don't do it. And so now he's got to accept. And then, then in her last month of pregnancy, think about this, okay? I mean, in her last month of pregnancy, you know, what are the, what's the doctor telling you? Don't be doing no traveling now. Don't be gone very well. She went 90 miles because Caesar said, you got to go be counted. i got to have a census. i got to collect some taxes. And she went 90 miles. Now, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but she didn't have a car. She rode a donkey. And the quickest you could make that trip in those days was four days. But because she was nine months pregnant, I guarantee you she didn't make it in four days. Probably closer to a week it took her to get there. But they persevered and they brought into this world the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the, the Lord of all lords. They brought him because they persevered. And that, that's, I wanted to wrap with this one right here because, because that's, Commitment is one of the most important, but perseverance is one of the most important. That when the looks are gone, that when the passion isn't there, on those days the passion isn't there, when you don't have the time, when the whole world seems to be doing everything it can to destroy your marriage, your home, your family, or whatever, just persevere. Just say, I made a choice, and I'm sticking with that choice. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.